Beloved saints at Glen Vista Baptist Church, it is a wonderful privilege this morning to greet you in the precious name of our Lord and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible joy that God has provided means like these, modern technology, that in a time where the world at large is in lockdown, and our country has been in lockdown for the last two days, this being our first Lord's Day, that the effect of the lockdown is affecting us, that we nonetheless have the privilege of gathering in our various homes, wherever you find yourself right now, uh, soon under the inspiration, the preaching of God's Word. What a joy that in this way, at least, we can be together. Now, normally on a uh, Lord's Day, one of our service leaders will greet you and will say something like this, welcome to you at Glen Vista Baptist Church. You'll be welcomed and you'll be thanked for making every effort to be with us. Well, this morning, precious friends at Glen Vista, it is my privilege to thank you for opening your homes to us under extraordinary circumstances. There where you are now, perhaps in your lounge, with family members around a TV or a laptop or a cell phone, whatever means of electronics you're using to receive the word today, thank you so much for allowing us to be with you. Let me also say, it is hard to be apart. We are missing you. Uh, the very fact this morning that we can't be together once again, in a real sense, is hard. And therefore, I urge you, beloved, that you would pray earnestly that God would be gracious in the context of the spread of this virus, that our, the citizens of our country would be obedient to the call of the state, that you and I would set an example as believers in terms of our biblical responsibility as we submit ourselves firstly to God and then to the government that he has put in place, and that in so doing we would fulfill our biblical responsibility as citizens of this country. So thank you for opening your home. Praise God for making this a possibility. But friends, at the outset of this live stream today, let's also be honest and let's be biblical. This is not how it ought to be. This is not how God ordained it be, especially in light of Hebrews 10.25 that says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Therefore, when we say that this is not normal, we recognize that the fact that we're not corporately worshiping this Lord's Day, that is the abnormality of this gathering. And we pray that God would hasten the day that once again we could gather together in corporate worship and worship together one with another. Uh, that wonderful joy that we experience when God's people gather at Glen Vista Baptist Church. Allow me the opportunity to welcome family members and friends who may be tuning in to this live stream. Uh, welcome also to some international visitors who are signing in. And we thank God for that. Allow me to encourage you that if you have perhaps this morning for the first time found us online, either via our YouTube live stream or via Facebook live. Beloved, if you're living in our area and you do not currently have a local church at which you're worshipping, won't you make every effort to come and join us as soon as the lockdown period is over? Join us in Glen Vista in the south of Johannesburg as we soon hope to meet again corporately at the wonderful facilities that God has pre provided for us as we come together. Therefore, if it's your first time signing in, a warm welcome. But particularly, allow me to express to the members and the adherents of Glen Vista Baptist Church a particular welcome, as it is a great joy to be with you as we worship together. This, no doubt, is an unprecedented time in the history of our country. Yet, friends, God has created for us unique opportunities, I believe with all my heart, for us to be faithful with the gospel and with the spread of the gospel. 
Therefore, may I encourage you as members and adherents of Glen Vista Baptist Church that you have a biblical mandate and a biblical responsibility that you can so easily fulfill by simply sending and forwarding the links to our YouTube page and our Facebook page to family and friends all across the globe. Because even after this live stream, those of your family and friends will be able to sit under the sound of the gospel. This is a reminder that God is sovereignly in control. And therefore we bring again the call to God's people that we would be earnestly in prayer at this time, that we would seek the face of Almighty God, that we would pray for our country, that we would pray for our state president and the cabinet who is continuously making critical and important decisions, that we would pray for our first responders, for police and for uh, the army that has been deployed to help at this time. Pray for men and women who are serving tirelessly so that at this stage, God may be gracious to us as a nation. Pray for those directly affected by the COVID-19 virus. Even this morning, as we are aware, that there has at least already been one death in our country as a result of this. Therefore, pray that at this time, people will turn to Christ and seek Jesus Christ alone as our refuge and our strength. Psalm 46, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Beloved, a couple of announcements before we get to the reading of God's Word and thereafter the preaching of God's Word. Oh, that we would remind you to be on the lookout for each other. Uh, particularly now in lockdown where we are not allowed to see each other and where we are pretty much homebound for the next 21 days. This is a time to pick up the phone. This is a time for WhatsApps and for FaceTime and for Skype calls. Uh, go out of your way to do whatever you can that we care one for another in this important time. Do also please note that our bulletin, as always, is sent out electronically. Therefore, you can simply go onto your email and you would have already received the bulletin for this morning's uh, time together. If you're not receiving our bulletins, it means you haven't signed up. And then I'd love to encourage you to simply click on the right-hand side of our website, uh, use the subscribe button, and then you will receive our important announcements. Note that we will continue sending important announcements to you uh, via WhatsApp, via email, via YouTube, and even via Facebook when needed, so as to stay in contact as much as we possibly can. A reminder also that the church office remains open, however, not from the church building as per usual, but from various homes. I'm working from my home. Leslie, our office secretary, is working from her home. And the four brothers uh, that are serving together in terms of caring for the church, Paul, Peter, Varghese and myself, are available at any time if you have particular needs uh, for us to serve you. Well, I thought it good to deal with the announcements. At the outset of our time together, I'm now going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 134, verse 1 to 3. Uh, you know we are currently working our way through the Psalter, and we're in the 134th Psalm this morning. A wonderful Psalm, a call to worship as the people of God gather together. Hear therefore the word of the Lord. The psalmist writes, Come, bless the Lord. And it's a song of ascents. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord. Just so far the reading of God's word, I invite you to bow with me in prayerful worship as we beseech the face of Almighty God. Let us pray together. Our loving Father and our most gracious God, how we thank you this Lord's Day that you are omnipotent, that you are omniscient, that you are omnipresent, and that nothing happens that ever escapes your sovereign decree or goes beyond your permissible will.
with the psalmist in Psalm 134. We bow before you this Lord's day and the cry of our hearts is also come. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Oh Lord, we bless you that you are in control. We worship you and we acknowledge afresh this Lord's day that there is none like you. What a comforting thought it is for us as we gather in our respective homes that you have provided media such as YouTube and Facebook that can effectively be used at this time for the, for the spread and the propagation of the gospel. Thank you for our people who eagerly anticipate and desire being under the word of God. And Father, we acknowledge it is hard for us not to be together. It is hard for us not to gather corporately at this time. And therefore, we pray that you would soon, O oh God, restore things to a better position that we may have freedom of movement again and that we may corporately gather. Oh Lord, teach us in these 21 days to appreciate the things that we so often take for granted. Teach us to treasure the gift of having a home, the gift of being with family, and the gift of extra time to be able to focus on those things that perhaps we have been neglecting for a lengthy period of time. May we treasure our immediate relationships. May husbands and wives grow in love for each other. May fathers and mothers love their children afresh in self-sacrificial self ways. May we truly give attention to those things that truly matter. And would you, not only in our own country, not only in our own church, but even worldwide, use this time of crisis to bring men and women to their knees. Oh, how we pray for the spread of the gospel. Oh, how we pray that the word of God that is being sent out through electronic media from church to church, even this Lord's Day, that the true gospel may spread, that your people will worship in spirit and in truth, that those of your sheep, O oh God, who have not yet heard your voice, may hear your voice and call upon you and come to know Christ as Lord and as Savior. So use, we pray, this unprecedented time, which no doubt comes about by sovereign design, Use it, O oh God, for your glory. Use it for the propagation of the gospel. Use it for the salvation of sinners. Use it for the strengthening of your church, that your church in these days truly may be salt and light. We pray for those in our immediate midst that may feel uh, the pinch of isolation at this time. We think of those who are naturally alone, who don't have family around them, perhaps family members that are far away. We think of those in our midst who have, in the last two years or so, perhaps even more, lost loved ones to death, who will feel uh, the loneliness of isolation, perhaps even more. Oh God, we bring those loved ones before you. We pray, be gracious unto them. Stir within the hearts of your people at Glen Vista a passion and a deep concern uh, that all may be adequately cared for in this time. We pray for Jean, who's been in hospital this week. We ask for him particularly, O oh God, that you would raise him up from his sickbed. We pray that you would strengthen him and we pray that you may be, may be gracious to him. We pray for others who have been under tremendous pressure and whose bodies are so showing the signs of that pressure through means of flu and other illnesses that are going around. O oh God, again, we pray, be gracious. We pray for those in our midst who at this time have to work. We think of the medical personnel in our midst. We pray, oh God, that you would protect them. Those who would be at the front line, so to speak, in, in saving others' lives and caring for others who are ill at this stage. Won't you protect our beloved brothers and sisters? Lord, help us to be wise in these days. Help us to use our time for the glory of your name. Strengthen your church. Unite us with the bond of love that can never separate us, even though we are in isolation at this time. Use this time, we pray, for the glory of your name. May Glen Vista Baptist Church be so strengthened so that the glory of Christ may come forth from her that in us all may see Jesus 
who is the hope of glory within. Therefore, help us to always be ready to give a reasonable defense for the hope that we have within us to anyone that asks why it is that we have so much joy. Oh, we thank you how the doctrine of your sovereignty and the doctrine of providence grants great peace to us in the midst of worldwide upheaval. We can look to Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, Lord, as we do things somewhat differently, not being able to incorporate all the elements of a worship service, would you therefore use this live stream as the gospel is proclaimed, that the glory of our God may be seen and that Christ Jesus alone may be glorified. Speak now, we pray. We beg this of you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, dear friends, it is my joy to invite you. If you worship with us regularly, you'd know that we find ourselves at the moment in the book of Genesis. And we're in Genesis chapter 3. And I would invite you right at the outset of our time together to come with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 to 13. Note, as you'll see on the screen, that I've entitled this message, Burying the Disgrace of Sin Under Flimsy Leaves Until God, by His Inner Voice, Strikes Our Inner Conscience. I know that's a mouthful, but I have no doubt that you're getting that on the screen and that you will be able to follow as we consider Genesis 3, verse 8 to 13. Come with me then, as we read God's Word, and as I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Just so far, the reading of God's word. Once again, the title, Burying the Disgrace of Sin and the Flimsy Leaves, until God, by his inner voice, strikes our inner conscience. Beloved friends, over the last two Lord's Days, we have had the privilege to be in Genesis 3 and to consider the devastating effects of disobedience. And we've come to see the far-reaching implications and the destructive consequences the rebellion of the first man and woman had in the Garden of Eden. We have, to some extent, considered the depths of depravity commencing in the garden. And as we today proceed in chapter 3, we now have to ask ourselves the question whether there is anything that can truly deal with the very depths of our depravity. We find ourselves in a passage which many commentators call the passage of confrontation. For you see, Adam and Eve are now confronted in their sin. That's where we find ourselves today in the text. And that's, beloved, where we need to see that Christ Jesus, the second Adam of whom we learned last Lord's Day, that Christ, the second Adam, he alone can rescue us from the multiple consequences which the sin of our forefathers 
Adam and Eve has brought the promise. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the end of the sixth day, when his work was finished, God saw all that he had made, and what he made was very good. There was a beautiful harmony in the world, and there was peace between God and man. The Lord was well pleased with the first two human beings. God loved them and they loved God. Also, the man and the woman loved one another. It was a great joy for them to be together. This, too, was very good. The man and the woman loved their world and the man and the woman loved their work. The earth was a blessing for them bringing forth all kinds of good things. And the man and the woman were a blessing for the earth as they joyfully tended it with love and care as per God's design. During those days in the beginning, there was peace on earth everywhere, even in the hearts of the first two human beings. Then, however, the man... And the woman sinned, and there was no longer peace. In his little booklet, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the booklet entitled Temptation, describes most adequately how the temptation which we see in the Garden of Eden works. Follow with me on the screen. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and the will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. The questions present themselves. Is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? Is it really not permitted to me? Yes, expected of me now here in the particular situation to appease desire? It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. End of quote. And so everything in Eve rose up against the word of God. Our mother failed and she failed miserably. Yet her husband Adam had a greater culpability because God's word had been given to him directly even before God had created Eve. And we also see that he was with Eve during the time of temptation, and Adam, not taking up his God-given responsibility to lead his wife, allowed his wife to partake in sin whilst he simply remained looking on. Adam and Eve's existence was now one of death. And as a result of this, Sin instantaneously penetrated every aspect of their being. Both Adam and Eve were at once utterly sinful and completely depraved. And where once both Adam and Eve freely communed with God in the garden, in the cool of the day, sin disrupts the harmony between man and God. And Adam and Eve... Now go into hiding. Therefore, come with me to our first point as we turn to the text. 
And I want you to see that now that Adam and Eve is in hiding, the text speaks of the fact that they are alarmed at God's voice as soon as his law sounds in their ears. Read with me again Genesis 3 verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So as we ended verse 7 last Lord's Day, by seeing that immediately after their sin, both Adam and Eve knew that they were naked and that the eyes of both were opened. The text then tells us in verse 7, and they sewed fig leaves together and they made for themselves loin cloths. Ironically, in the presence of an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, Adam and Eve tried to hide their sin by covering their naked bodies with clothing made from the leaves of a tree. How utterly foolish for the first man and his wife to think they could hide from God. Adam and Eve were alarmed at God's voice as soon as God's law sounds in their ears. Verse 8 tells us, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Suddenly, at the sound of God's voice, both Adam and Eve realized that the clothing which they had made for themselves were of no avail in the presence of an omniscient holy God. In Romans 2 verse 15 we read, They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. This means the law of God is both written and impressed on every man's heart. And as a result of that, all know the difference between good and evil. The frightful reality, however, dear friends, is that we see in the first man and woman that they attempt to bury the disgrace of their sin under flimsy leaves until God, by his voice, strikes them in their inner consciences. Look at verse 9. God's law came to Adam in the form of a question. And verse 9 says, when the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Note that the text says, the Lord God called to the man. Now friends, this should cause us to really hearken and to see what's happening here. This no doubt is not the first time that the Lord God speaks to the man. But this time, the way that the Lord God speaks to the man has very different implications. This calling is a calling that suddenly brings fear and alienation upon the man and the woman. This call was a call that came with strength upon the conscience of Adam. God now comes closer and God confronts Adam in his sin. To this, John Calvin responds, in the same way, we also are alarmed at God's voice as soon as his law sounds in our ears. But we snatch at shadows until he, calling upon us more vehemently, compels us to come forward to stand before his tribunal. Beloved, we need to be reminded that what happened here happened within an instant. The first couple in the garden instantaneously passed from life to death, from sinlessness to sin, from harmony to alienation, from trust to distrust, from ease to disease. Verse 9. 
It didn't happen over a period of time. It did not even take a day. It happened instantaneously, even in a millisecond. Adam and Eve lost their innocence and they were now utterly guilty before a holy God. Beloved friends, what we see unfolding here is common to all of human nature. This hiding from God, this shrinking from God remains part of our fallen condition. This we inherited from our forefather Adam. This both you and I are guilty of. And that, dear friends, is why the comparison which we studied last, last Lord's Day is of such crucial nature to remember. For you see, what, what came with the transgression of the first Adam can only be undone by the sacrifices of the second Adam. Without the sacrificial atonement of Christ on the cross of Calvary, there could be no propitiation for sin. There could be no ransom for an act as grievous as this. There could be no reconciliation between God and man. The law had now been broken. The stipulations of the covenant had now been transgressed and God, the covenant maker and the covenant keeper now steps in and he deals with man in his sin. And it's at the very first dealing with man in his sin that the very first signs of the school of original sin transpires. So come with me secondly then as we look out for the first signs of the school of original sin. Come with me to verse 9, well, to verse 10 in particular. In verse 10 we read, And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. In verse 9 we see that the sacred sound which the first man and woman heard before, and which had originally filled them with so much joy, now, in verse 9, becomes a sound that brings them but only dread. A dread that causes them to hide. Yet, the psalmist makes known that there is no place in which we can hide from the omnipresence of God. He writes in Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. You see, beloved friends, the problem with our sin is that we not only believe that we can hide from God, but we also believe that we can privatize our thoughts. Once again, the psalmist states so clearly that that is not true. For in Psalm 139 verse 2, we see the psalmist so clearly saying, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You see how clear that is? You discern my thoughts from afar. <laughs> Nonetheless, look at verse 10. Nonetheless, here in the garden we see that Adam thought that he could hide from God. But the text is abundantly clear in showing us that God finds Adam. You see, here's the stark reality. You cannot hide from God. Because nothing is hidden from His all-pervasive eye. He sees all things, he knows all things, he is in control of all things, and nothing goes beyond our God. All is naked before the eyes of him who made all things. Now the text tells us that the Lord God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The mere fact that this is stated in the text is perhaps an indication of a daily appointment at which the Lord God met with Adam for communion and fellowship. 
What, however, is introduced before us now is that on this particular occasion, instead of Adam consciously awaiting the appearance of God in the garden for his daily time of fellowship with God, Adam now is hiding among the trees, hoping to avoid seeing the Lord God altogether. And this, dear friends, is the very first sign of the school of original sin. This is the first sign of the bondage of decay. This is the first tangible reminder that man is no longer walking in close communion and fellowship with his God. And what then particularly indicates that Adam realized that something is wrong is Adam's sudden awareness of his own nakedness. You see, up until now, Adam being naked had not been a problem. Him and Eve had no shame of each other in their nakedness. Their nakedness was normal and it had brought upon them no reason for concern. Yet now, flagrant sin had entered Adam's body and would continue contaminating all future generations. Look at verse 9 and 10. God now asks Adam where he was. And Adam now realizing that he had been found out by God comes out of hiding, mumbling a half-hearted excuse before God. Now what I want you to notice is that this process in which God confronts Adam was a process filled with grace. God, for example, does not directly make an accusation to Adam. The question God asks him, where are you, is really asking, why are you there? Is, is that where you should be, Adam? Come out, Adam, and face me. You see, what God is doing here is that God is drawing Adam from hiding rather than driving Adam from it. And in that, beloved, is a very gracious condescension of a sovereign, omnipotent God. You see, God was, as it were, nudging Adam to come to his senses. And therefore, this was a process that was graced. Now look at verse 10. Adam's response, however, contains no admission whatsoever of wrongdoing. None. The only thing that Adam did say was, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I hid because I was afraid. That's the closest Adam came to any indication of acknowledgement of guilt. But notice very specifically, this is not a confession of sin. And so what we see here is that Adam, sadly, is more concerned about how he felt about his nakedness than how he felt about his sinning and his transgressing the law of God. And in so doing, breaking the very covenant stipulations that God had made with him. Adam is concerned about the wrong thing. Now notice as of verse 11, that God commences a process of restoring the order of authority which has been marred by sin as a result of the fall. Hence, God addresses Adam first. Why? Because Adam bore the primary responsibility as federal head over all mankind. And as much as this process was bathed in grace from the beginning, watch now carefully, God now presses hard upon the issue by asking Adam two questions. And look at the text. The first of those questions is found in verse 11a. And here's the first question. Who told you that you were naked? And then the second question that God poses to Adam is found in verse 11b. And God says to him, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And then watch what happens. Then comes the excuses. One after the other. 
And beloved, in these excuses that are now to follow in the text, we see the bondage of man's will to sin and the decay that comes along with such bondage. Well, that brings me to our third point. And I've entitled this third point, The Bondage of Decay. Come to verse 12 and 13. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me. Note the accusation in that tone. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now look at verse 12. We see here, Dear friends, that sin so rapidly pervaded the hearts of both Adam and Eve that as God begins to question them, Adam blamed his wife and Eve blamed the serpent and not one of them was willing to acknowledge their own personal guilt in the sight of a holy God. In actual fact, beloved, we see here the worst form of blasphemy taking place in the Garden of Eden as Adam casts the blame on God himself. The woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit and God, all I did is I just ate what was offered to me. But, but really God, it's your fault. You should have known better. You should have known that you shouldn't have given this woman to me. Coarse, utter, Blasphemy in the Garden of Eden, coming from the first man created in the image of God. And so now, note how the, the roles are reversed here. Instead of Adam praising God for his goodness, Adam now blames God for the very troubles Adam has. And as a result of Adam's sin, the process of decay enters upon all of the known creation. You see, since Adam had been appointed by God to exercise dominion over all of the earth, and since Adam was beginning to die, his dominion now over all that God had created and entrusted to him, his dominion would effectively also begin the process of decay. Adam's sin leads to death and the decay of that death permeates all of man's existence. That's why we read in Romans 8.22 that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. That process, the apostle there in Romans calls the bondage of corruption. Perhaps for our discussion, we can even call it the bondage of decay. For in Romans 8 verse 20 and 21, the two verses just preceding that text, we read that the creation was made subject to vanity. It was made subject to futility. All because... Of Adam's sin. Now watch what happens in verse 12. Adam just cannot admit that he is guilty. Eve on the other hand puts the blame on the serpent and Adam in turn ultimately blames God. Total depravity. Now rules and reigns Within our first parents. Adam's boldness is clearly demonstrated here in that he utters coarse blasphemy. Beloved, what you need to see, and you need to see this so clearly, Adam deliberately sets himself up as a rebel against God. to prove how very much Adam was caught in his own sin. 
Adam shows forth that he has no ability to confess that sin. And instead of owning up to that sin, here in verse 12, we see him blaming God by saying, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So watch carefully the cycle of decay. For instead of owning up to his own sin, Adam blames her on Eve. Yet not content with this, Adam accuses God of giving him a wife who had brought him his ruin. Now, beloved, what needs to be seen very clearly here this Lord's day is that we, you and I, are trained in the very same school of original sin. And we are all too ready to resort to vices of the same kind, but to no avail. For no matter how hard we try skirting away from this issue, the unbelief that seduces us away from obedience to God is within us all. For you see, it is the pride within that brings forth contempt. And therefore, in verse 13, we now see God in his role as judge, focusing his attention on Eve. And it's as if God is saying to Eve, how could you be so wicked, Eve, as to do this to your husband? How could it be that you were so perverse that you counseled your husband in such a manner? And then Eve's immediate response is very similar like that of Adam's. Listen to her response. The serpent, note the blame shifting, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Did you notice both Adam and Eve said that? And I ate. Kind of like, well, what else could I do? It was given to me. It was presented to me. The temptation was there. All I did is I responded to it. Well, beloved, we have here, but quite simply, another example of blame shifting. Instead of being dumbstruck in the presence of God, Eve, like her husband, lays the blame on another, pointing accusingly to the serpent in the garden. You see, to shift the blame onto someone or something else is a very common vice of humanity. And it's a way in which we evade our own sinful responsibility. Beloved friends, the truth that we need to learn from this is that we are responsible for what we do or fail to do. And we will each be judged accordingly. Therefore, Blaming our background, blaming our parents, blaming our genes, blaming our spouse, blaming society, blaming anything else for our wrong choices is ruled out of court by God. That will not cut in the presence. Of a holy God. So then in conclusion. The conclusion of the matter. Is abundantly clear. For the scriptures teach that no one. From Adam. Right to the very last man on the face of earth. No one will ever get away by passing the buck. No one. No one whatsoever. It's proved here in Genesis, isn't it? Adam and Eve tried to pass the buck. That's what the first man and the first woman tried. And, and, and it's evident here, beloved, that they miserably failed and no one after them will manage to succeed in doing so. 
In the New Testament, our brother James so clearly, under divine inspiration, states in James 1 verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So what do we learn from this? Well, we learn from this, we cannot blame God. We learn from this, we cannot point fingers at anyone else. We learn even from this, and let this sink in, we learn from this, we cannot even blame the devil. For we remain solely responsible for our own sin, and we will give an account to God for our own sin. Each man, each woman, every boy, every girl will give a personal, direct account to Jesus Christ on the day of reckoning. So I guess the bottom line question that should be asked is what are we sons and daughters of Adam to do since we share such solidarity with Adam in our sins in that we are thoroughly sinful and utterly responsible and that we alone bear the blame? What shall we do? So what's the answer? You see, the answer to that question, beloved friend, lies but only in the rescue that comes by Jesus Christ, the second Adam, as we saw in our previous hour. The Apostle Paul so adequately uh, explains in Romans 5 verse 17, read with me, Romans 5 17, he writes, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Friends, the only one, the only man in history who never tried to pass the buck is the second Adam. Because as the sinless God-man, Jesus Christ never had to pass on the responsibility for sin. And why is that? Well, the answer is simple, because Jesus Christ had no sin. That's why he didn't pass the buck, because he could not pass on the sin. Jesus, the sinless lamb of God, came to rescue a fallen and a depraved world from its own sin. And instead of passing the buck, Jesus Christ, the sinless God-man, Messiah and Savior, rather said, pass the blame to me. And the buck stopped with Jesus. You see, there on the cross of Calvary, the blameless Messiah hung suspended between two blameworthy thieves. There on the cross of Calvary is a literal display of Christ the innocent hanging among the guilty. What a beautiful display of the gospel of Christ. And as we know that account so well, we know that one of the thieves respond to the gospel right there on the cross and he ceases his cursing and he begins listening and on that hill we know that the miracle of rebirth took place and and jesus states that so clearly by saying to the thief today truly i tell you today you will be with me in paradise you see it was in the darkness of calvary as the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies was rent in two from top to bottom, that the way to the Father was opened by the sinless sacrifice of Christ, the Messiah. 
And the way was made for sinners through repentance and faith to come home. That very moment, that guilty man's sin was lifted from him and placed on Jesus. The blame no longer was on him. The blame now fell on his Lord and on his Messiah. Friend, allow me to ask you the question. Have you stopped passing the buck? Have you come to the place where you have acknowledged that the guilt of your sin is yours alone? And then, friend, have you passed it to Jesus? You see, we cannot bury the disgrace of our sin under flimsy leaves like Adam and Eve tried. We need to recognize that we are naked in the very sight of God who sees all things. And we need to recognize afresh that unless we repent and unless we are clothed in the very righteousness of his son, we will die naked. And for such remains, but only the terror and the agony of everlasting punishment in the very flames of hell. Pass it on to Jesus. Repent. Of your sin and know the blessedness of being clothed in a righteousness not your own turn to him the second Adam who has undone all of the effects of the curse of the first Adam turn to Jesus Amen would you pray with me? Our loving Father, guilty and naked, we stand before you. And if we find ourselves at this very moment standing before you and we are not in Christ, then that means we are naked, then that means that Satan is our father then that means that the doors of hell are swinging open wide for us. And it is only but by divine grace that you keep us hanging over the flames of hell on but a flimsy cord. We are in your hands. And unless we repent of our sin, we will enter eternity naked and we will be punished forever in the abyss of hell in a flame that cannot be quenched. But if we're in Christ, we're clothed in the righteousness of the second Adam who has come to undo the effects of the fall of the first Adam. And in Christ, there's hope for us. In Christ, there's life. In Christ, there's joy everlasting and abundantly. And in Christ, there is forgiveness for our sins. Help us to stop passing the buck. Help us to recognize that blame shifting brings us absolutely nowhere. Help us, O oh Father, to acknowledge the very guilt of our own sinfulness and to take responsibility for our own sin. Help us individually, personally, to bow before the throne of Christ, uh, grace and to beg for mercy and forgiveness. Help us in this time where the world is making such a big thing of a virus that our focus would not be on the virus, but that largely you will bring the world to repentance on its knees, that we may consider the greatness of our sin and the everlasting consequences of our sin. Because even though a virus may kill us, if we are in Christ and we have his life, no virus will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Therefore, we pray, as much as there's an extraordinary focus 
upon a disease that has taken the lives of many across the world. Oh God, may this be a time that we all consider the effect that sin, the sin of our forefather Adam, has had upon us all. Bring us to our knees. Cause us to repent, O oh God, that we may look afresh to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Help us during this week as we remain wise in isolation. Put your hand upon your people, O oh God, we beg that your bride at Glen Vista may know the love and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that we may reach out to each other in great concern and in love, and that none in our midst will feel the pinch of isolation so much that it drives them to despair. Rather, may we corporately care for each other and love each other in such abundant fashion that Jesus Christ might be praised. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of broadcasting your word. Use the broadcast of the preached word for the salvation of sinners and for the glory of your own precious name. This, O oh God, we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, beloved, as we have come to the end of the preaching, once again, we thank God for the privilege of such a live broadcast. Do share our Facebook feed. Do share our YouTube feed. Spread the fragrance of the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing, because without the hearing of the word, no one can be saved. Keep your eyes on Jesus in this week, firmly fixed on him who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Here, therefore, as I conclude this live stream, the spoken benediction, both from Ephesians chapter 3 and from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And now, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then from 2 Corinthians 13, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all till we meet again. Amen and God bless.